Now, if you've not been part of our series, we're, we're coming towards the end of our fruitfulness on the front line, but it's linked under our SOS uh, mission statement. We're here to serve our Shirley, and this year we want to be showing our Saviour. And showing our Saviour is about being fruitful on our own front lines. And so we've arrived at that moment today where we're going to look at what it means to be a messenger of the gospel. Now I know it's one of those difficult ones because if you're here and you're struggling with your faith, or perhaps you're not a believer at all, you think, oh, here he goes. He's going to be really kind of going for me this morning. I can assure you that I'm not. I've got a message to share, but it's for all. And those of us who do know and love the Lord Jesus, and we're more secure in our faith, you think, oh, here he's going to lay a guilt trip on me this morning because I'm not sharing enough. Well, I hope that you don't have any sense of that either way because I think there's a great lot to encourage us here as we move in to our message this morning. We are called to be a messenger of the gospel. It's a mandate that our Saviour has given us. It's a message about our Saviour, and in Christ we've got the means to do it, because it's his skill, it's his spirit, it's his support that we use to share. But we are delivery people. And it wasn't that long ago, I was uh, going up to the paper shop to buy one or two things, and I was in a queue behind a lady, and when she got to the desk, she was quite upset. She was upset that her newspaper had not been delivered that morning. And, uh, you know, she was frustrated at the very least, angry, (laughs) perhaps would be a better description. And I felt so sorry for the shopkeeper who was having to kind of reflect or or deflect this this sense of frustration that this particular lady had. And uh, I also felt sorry for the paper boy because I remember years ago that I used to do a paper round. And uh, it wasn't in the town, it was out in the country, you know, and it wasn't just that there were long gaps between the houses, quite often the pathways up to the houses were like a hospital corridor. So I felt a little bit sorry for the paper boy that was uh, coming in for some flack here. But as the lady got more and more cross, she said something that kind of stirred me. She said, you know, when you think about it, she said, these papers send hundreds of reporters around the world. That's got to cost them a lot of money. And they put together stories to send back that we can read. And you add to that the printing cost, the editorial skill, just to get the paper ready with the news that needs to be shared. And it never gets to me because the paper boy doesn't deliver it. (laughs) Well, I still feel sorry for the paper boy. I'm I'm partly in his corner, but I can also understand something of that frustration of the lady, can't you? Because the delivery of the news depends on the paper boy. And I'm a delivery man. I'm a messenger of the gospel. And when you think about it, what, what a waste of all that God has done for us by his grace in Christ Jesus, in coming to live and die and rise again for us, if the news never gets delivered. So I want us to encourage us in that thought this morning as we kind of move into this last uh, session together of the M's that have been put before us. Now we're here thinking about being a messenger of the gospel, but remember this is the last M. 
You know, there's modeling godly character, there's making good work, there's ministering grace and love, there's molding culture, there's being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, which is what John took us through last week. And now we arrive at this thought, the last M of being a messenger of the gospel. And I just want to say before we launch into this kind of passage that we've had read to us this morning, that I don't think it's possible to be an effective messenger of the gospel if all those previous five M's that we've looked at over the last five Sundays together, to some degree at least, even to the most minimal degree, if we're not seeing some marks of those things in our life. We can't truly be an effective messenger of the gospel if there's nothing about those first five M's with us. And yet, it's also worth saying, I think, too, that our role on the front line will always be complete if we go no further than those first five M's. Because there are some things that, quite honestly, cannot go without saying. And the message of the gospel is one of them. I know that uh, Francis Assisi may have famously said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. But the Apostle Paul said, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone messaging it to them, preaching it to them? Mark, uh, Mark Green says this in the book, and I like this. I don't uh, often quote him directly in the messages because that's part of what we're doing together in the mingles, and you've got the books. But he says this, people on our front lines need to hear. They need to hear what? That it was Jesus who made a difference to us and that Jesus is the only one who can make an eternal difference to them. And so... The delivery is dependent upon us. You might want to prefer to be a paper boy. You might want to think of yourself as a preacher, a postman. Paul uses the word ambassador, but we're messengers of good news in Christ. And we've got something wonderful to do. And personally, I have to say, I think the greatest thing that one human being can do for any other human being is to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ just as Andrew and Philip did in the passage that Brenda read to us a few moments ago. So let's have a look at it and try and just get a little handle on how we might uh, imagine ourselves to be a messenger of the gospel. Not because we've been forced into it, but because the flow of the life of Christ comes through us to give us the heart to want to do it. So the first thing, let me underline it here, the first thing is commitment to Jesus. We're told in what we read, the next day, John was there, he was at Bethany. At Bethany, on one side of the River Jordan, and he was there with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, look, look, Just stop what you're doing. Have a look at this. The Lamb of God, here's Jesus. Now, when the two disciples heard him say this, what did they do? We're told they followed Jesus. And there is the key to the commitment side of being a messenger 
of the gospel, that we have a commitment to Jesus because we're followers of Jesus. We are messengers of his gospel. He is the one who calls and says, follow me. When you follow somebody, what do you do? You go where they go. You say what they want you to say. You do what it is they want you to do. It's no wonder that when Jesus called those disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So if we're not fishing, we're not following. If we're not delivering, we're not disciples. If we're not sharing, we're not showing our saviour to a world that needs to see him. R.A. Torrey, who was one of the great Bible teachers of the 20th century, said this. He said, I would like to ask, what right does a person have to call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ if they're not a messenger of the gospel? Now, he used the phrase soul winner, but it's the same thing. There is absolutely no such thing as following Christ unless we make the purpose of his life the purpose of our life. And what a privilege it is to do. To be a messenger of such good news. That's why we're told both Andrew and Philip, having followed Jesus, both had it on their hearts to want to message him to others. For when we're following Jesus Christ, we will be witnessing. And when we are witnessing, we will be following. They just go hand in glove. It's the natural overflow of a life that is just in love with Jesus. It's not something that we have to do as much as it's something that we want to do because you wouldn't want to deny anybody else the very best that God wants for their life and the very love that you know and have for him. It's a natural overflow. I was thinking of this and and I read a quote by Kevin James. Kevin James, some of you may know from uh, Hollywood, from films, from King of Queens. And he, he could say this, I couldn't possibly say it. But he said, you know when you're a fat guy, you don't need a reason to sweat. It's a natural response to the size you are. Then he goes on to say, sometimes guys come up to me and say, goodness, Kevin, what have you been doing? Running a marathon, jumping rope in the backyard... And I say, no, I peeled an orange about an hour ago. Why? (laughs) Some things are just natural to do. I'm not saying there's no work involved in being a messenger of the gospel. It can be a costly thing. Take some courage. But it ought to be at the very base point, just a natural overflow of a heart that's been filled with the same love that brought Jesus into this world to give himself for us in the first place. Yes, there's much to ready ourselves with, but it ought to start there. And for Andrew and Philip, when they went off to tell, not one of them had been trained. No training given here, they just had a heart that was full. Full of what? Full of Jesus. To quote Mark Green again, if I can put it up, God is at work, so we don't need to be anxious. And we certainly don't need to be driven, but we do need to be intentional. It's not just going to happen. So once we have that commitment to Jesus, we can go on and discover that we also then need to share the communion with 
Jesus. You see, we pick up the story in verse 38 and verse 39. It says this, turning around, Jesus saw them, that's Andrew and Philip, following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replied, come and you will see. So, we're told, they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day, that day, with him. There was a real sense of communion here, a real sense of fellowship. They'd made the commitment to follow Jesus, now they took some time to fellowship with Jesus. And their fellowship came before their fishing, their worship of him came before their witnessing to him. You've got to get it in the right order. You've got to spend time with the Lord Jesus, get to know him before you can go out and share the Lord Jesus with others about him. And we're told it was about the 10th hour of the day, which is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which means that they spent all that evening and all that night talking with Jesus. And what a wonderful time that would have been. Hey, just imagine that I'm going to finish in one minute. Have you got that feeling? That must have been exactly what they felt. It doesn't get any better than this. (laughs) A whole night with the Lord Jesus. And yet isn't it true that the more time you spend with someone you love, you know, the better you know them? And isn't it true that the better you know somebody that you love, the more excited you are about knowing them? And isn't it true the more excited you get about them, the more you want to own them and share them? I think it's true. You remember Elijah? Elijah, before he presented himself for God to Ahab, first had to hide himself away with God, first of all at the drying brook in Kerith, and then with the widow of Zarephath. For nearly three years, he was with God before the call came to present himself for God. If we don't spend time with the Lord, we're not going to be effectively sharing the life that God wants us to share with those that need him. It's a good starting point, isn't it? That's why it's so timely this morning that Brenda's brought to our attention the notes that are available. We need to spend time with the Lord. The prequel to being a fruitful messenger of the gospel is to be in faithful, in fellowship time spent with the Master. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about it like this. You know, in the film business, there may never have been a hello, Mr. Chips, before there was a goodbye, Mr. Chips, to guarantee its success. Did you, you know, there's no prequel called Hello Mr. Chips, is there? Unless I missed it. Neither did those magnificent men in the departure lounge lead to the magnificent men in their flying machines. There wasn't a prequel like that, right? No, and there was no Schindler's search for pen and paper to get us ready for Schindler's list, right? There was no medical student, Shivago. There was no, the eagle has taken off. There wasn't even, I don't think, I wish those lambs would shut up. But in the gospel messenger business that we're all in, there will be no fruitfulness on the front line until there has been real fellowship with Jesus behind the line. Amen? Some of you know, because I've shared it many times, and it's my own personal mission statement, It's one that I try and live by. It's one that I've had before me, you know, for the whole of my ministry. It is simply this, that I want to be somebody who knows Jesus better 
and makes Jesus better known. That's my mission statement. Dawson Trotman, the founder of the great organization known as the Navigators, long ago said this, messengers of the gospel, he used the term soul winners again, are not messengers because of what they know, but who they know and how much they want others to know him. And I find it almost impossible to think that I can spend time with Jesus, worshipping him, praising him, blessing him, learning from him, being filled by him, and not as a consequence of that, want to go out and not share him, to be a messenger. Because once we've got the commitment to follow, and we take the time to commune, what results from it? Well, we get a confession, don't we? We see it in verses 40 to 41. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. Then we're told, this is lovely, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, what did he tell him? We have found the Messiah. There's the confession. We haven't just found a wonderful man. We haven't just been at a great meeting. We haven't just sung a brilliant song. We haven't just listened to the most marvelous message. And I know you're used to that. We have found the Messiah. Their confession is Jesus. And the message that we have to share is Jesus. Because we haven't been a messenger of the gospel if we don't share Jesus. I like the thought in Acts chapter 8 when the church is first being persecuted and they're scattered. Not the apostles, those that had come to faith, 3,000 of them on the day of Pentecost, another 5,000 men in consequence of that. They'd been scattered. And we're told in Acts 8 that the scattered went and they preached. And we're told of another Philip, not the same Philip that we're talking about here in John 1, the apostle, but the deacon Philip, that he went to a city in Samaria. And what are we told? He messaged the gospel there by preaching Christ. It is Christ. I was speaking at a men's meeting on Monday night at Portsmouth. And uh, I'm always reluctant to take, <laughs> take meetings on my day off. But they, they said, you know, there's a lot of men that are here, and uh, most of them, you know, have got no knowledge of the Christian faith. Would you come along and share a message? And I stood up, you know, when it was that point in the meeting, you know, they'd done everything that they planned to do, and I stood up and was about to speak. And somebody said, stood up right there and then, bold as brass, and said, now, are you going to tell us about Jesus? And it sounded quite threatening. <laughs> but I said, that's what I'm here to do. I said, I've got no other message to share. And he said, well, thank God for that, he said. I don't believe what you're going to tell me. It's nice of people to be up front with me. He said, I don't believe what you're going to tell me, but thank you that you've got the bottle at least to own it. I thought that was great coming from man, don't you? You know, I'd love to say at the end of the message, of course, he came to me, we bowed down and we prayed and he came to faith in Christ. No, he didn't. But at least he understood that if you're going to stand and give a message that's Christian, you ought to at least share Christ. Because our confession is Christ. We follow Christ. We commune with Christ. And how do we confess him effectively? Well, by seeking 
I love this, don't you? Verse 42, Andrew found his own brother, brought him to Jesus. Philip found his friend, Nathaniel, and told him. And it's clear, you know, if, if you read it in the original language there, that both Andrew and Philip went looking for someone to tell. The first one he came across was Peter, his brother. And Philip found Nathaniel. And there's something wonderfully providential in that, isn't there? You know, it wasn't just luck that when John pointed out the Lord Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God, it wasn't just luck that Jesus happened to be passing by that day. It was in the purposes and plans of God. It, it wasn't just luck that Philip happened to find his brother, uh, sorry, Philip, um, Andrew happened to find his brother Simon and tell him the gospel, and Philip happened to find his friend Nathaniel and tell him the gospel. God was working these things together. It's not luck that you work where you work. You live where you live. You play sport with the team that you're in. That you sit on the bus normally with the same person to travel to work with each day. You know, this is not luck. These are opportunities that God puts before us. And if we're going to confess Christ as we ought to, we ought to be a people that are looking to take the opportunity that those situations allow for us. I'm not talking about, you know, standing up and giving a full-length message. You can't say everything in one go, can you? But you might have something to chip into the conversation from a Christian perspective. You might have something to say that can offer a little bit of hope when the person that you're with lives in full despair. Of course, but we ought to be seeking for it because we follow who? We confess who? We follow and seek a seeking God. Did we go looking for God? No, he came looking for us. I know people like to say, I found God. But actually, you are only able to find God because he came to find you. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save what was lost. When Adam fell into sin, who went and hid and who came looking? It was God who came looking. God is looking this morning. I'm a messenger here of good news. Not to twist your arm up behind your back and try and convert you to what I believe. Just simply to introduce you to the one who can make a wonderful difference in your life. And there's nobody that can do that but the Lord Jesus. So we need to be a seeking people, just as Andrew and Philip were. But we also need to be a speaking people too, don't we? We do have to say something at one time or another. There is a time to be silent. I understand that. But there's also a time to speak. Because I promise you, and nobody's ever going to truly come into the experience of God that they need to come into through faith in Jesus Christ if we don't say something about the gospel to them. You say, well, my life is my witness, Sean. Well, that's good. You ought to have a life that doesn't contradict the message of your lips. But your good life and my good life is going to save nobody. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings salvation. And at some point, we have to share him. So we need to be seeking. We need to be speaking. We need to do it respectfully, don't we? We need to be gentle. We need to be sensitive. We need to be simple. We need to be sure. But we need to know that it's the Lord that they need. And here's the final thought very quickly for us this morning, that if we're committed to following Christ... And if we're communing with him, and if we've got 
that sense, which I hope we have, of true confession that comes out through our seeking and our speaking, then we can expect to be fruitful on our front line. Why would the Lord ask us to do something that had no hope of any return? He loves people more than I could ever love them. He's got a heart for people that's much bigger than my heart could ever be for people. He's got more that he can bless people with than I ever could as a single human being. And as we go out and share, the Lord wants to bring his best to lives. And we can go out and be fruitful on the front line knowing that there is this sense ultimately of conversion by Jesus. Now that is so important because sometimes people even say to me, oh, I was converted by you. I think, no, you weren't. You remember St. Augustine, he was one of the early church fathers, and a drunk man came up to him on one occasion and said, Augustine, Augustine, you converted me. And Augustine looked at the man who was drunk, he said, I must have converted you because if it was Christ, you wouldn't be in this mess. (laughs) I want to set the record straight. I couldn't save anybody. If I could save anybody, I would have started with myself, surely, wouldn't I? I couldn't save myself. I'm not good enough to forgot. I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of my life to stand before God and give an account of. My life is in his hands. He does the converting. And we're messengers of one who can change people's lives. That's why your story is so important to tell. And the most beautiful verse here, isn't it, is this. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus does the saving. Doesn't that take the pressure off? I hope it does. <laughs> he does the saving. Think of lives that he's turned around. Think of your own life. Wow. How could that be? Because he means what he says. Now, there's a little encouragement here from Andrew and from Philip, because if that's going to happen, we have to make presentation, don't we? Before people are saved, before people come to know God in the experience of life-transforming power, there's got to be a presentation. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. He presented Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Andrew and Philip both said, we found Jesus, come and see. Everybody was personally presenting Christ, even the Lord himself. And Andrew won Peter, Philip won Nathaniel, and John the Baptist was the one who won Andrew and Philip. But it's personal, isn't it? (laughs) A presentation that is personal. Yeah, be sensitive to where people are coming from. I don't think if you went into your place of work or you sat next to somebody on a bus and said, look, the Lamb of God is really going to come in where most people are at, are they? Be sensitive to where people are coming from. I was on my front line this week. I'll be sensitive here, but I was on my front line. One of my front lines is in the hospital. And in the hospital where I visit, and I was asked to go and see somebody. And I was invited to go in. I went in, and this person was very poorly, very poorly, but had come through one operation. And they said to me, look, do you think it's luck that God has kept me alive until you could come and see me? I said, I don't think so. What is it you want me to talk to you about? He said, well, I'd like to know 
what that religion is all about. I said, well, I'm not a very religious person, but I can tell you about my relationship with the Lord. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, please help me to explain this. And I asked the guy, I said, well, he was retired. I said, what did you do for a living? He said, I was a pawnbroker. <laughs> what a wonderful way to present the gospel. If you know anything about pawnbrokers, you know, to go in and buy something back that was lost to you. I don't do that when I'm on the golf course. I don't say, look, the Lamb of God. You know, I use terminology that they can understand. I use bunkers and traps. You know, see some bunkers, some golfers trying to get out of a bunker. I say, well, you know, when the opportunity comes, it's a bit like that in life, isn't it? You got yourself in a mess and you're just digging a bigger hole. You're not getting anywhere, are you? And you have a laugh about it, but you come in. You know, most golfers understand what it means to go out of bounds in terms of golf play. It's great to introduce them as to means what it means to go out of bounds with God. And every golfer appreciates a mulligan where you get a free shot with no penalty. In Christ, we get a free shot. We get a fresh life, a new beginning with no penalty because he died to take it for us. Amen? It's a presentation. And when you get that, when you get that far, what do you do? What do you do? You go on, don't you? You go on to what? You go on to make that declaration. By the way, Vance Havner said here, sometimes, and I, I just found this encouraging for me, but sometimes your medicine bottle has on it shake well before using... This is what God has to do with some of his people. He has to shake them well before they're ever usable. And I have to be shaken continually in regard to these things. I don't find it easy to share my faith. Now that might surprise some of you, but it's absolutely true. There's nothing that I like better than to share. I don't find it easy. I can think of easier ways to be upset. I can think of easier ways for people to say things about me that really is not that nice to hear. But it's good to be shaped at times and make the declaration that Philip made, we found Jesus, we found the Messiah. And once you've presented him, you've made a declaration of him, you will start to declare him. And then that will bring you, I think, also to that place of declaration and confrontation. And that's the hard bit, isn't it? They brought him to Jesus, we're told. They didn't bring him to church. didn't bring him to the pastor. They didn't bring him to a meeting. They brought him to Jesus. If you want to get somebody to be religious, bring them to church. If you want to get somebody to be bored, bring them to a message. If you want to get somebody angry, take them to your church AGM. But if, <laughs> but if you want somebody to be saved, you bring them to Jesus. Confrontation, not, not a standoff, you know, don't get me, not a standoff. Peter says, you know, we give a hope for the reason that's within us with gentleness and respect. Before Philip shared with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts, he was invited up. Before I shared anything at the hospital bed, I was invited to share. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know? But there is a sense of confrontation whenever you seek to bring people to Jesus. Most people don't come quickly, they come slowly over a period of time. So stay with it and continue to live as you ought to live because ultimately, here's the final thought, there will be that transformation. And it's wonderful. 
That's why when Andrew shared Jesus with Peter, Peter was given a new name by the Lord. A new name. When Philip shared with Nathaniel, Nathaniel's new nature was obvious. Can anything good come from from Nazareth, he said? Not in his mind until he met Jesus. And then suddenly he discovered the most wonderful thing of all had come from Nazareth. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to get a new name. Going to get a new name. It's one that God knows, one that's going to be made known to us, written on that white stone. What a wonderful thing. But there's a transformation in any life that has come to (coughs) Jesus. Now, if you know him, you're a messenger for him. Just tell it from your perspective. Don't get out of your depth. Just tell your story. Wonderful thing to have a testimony. And if you share your testimony, you can never get out of your depth. But you ought to share it. So be ready with it. Be ready with it. Have you ever sat down and just tried to put it down in a few short sentences in case somebody does ask you one day? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. If you know the master, you've got a message. And if you know the message, you're going to deliver in a wonderful way. And lives, I promise you, are going to be transformed. Amen? It's not down to me. You know, I'm here to tell you that on your front lines, this week perhaps, there's somebody waiting that God has put there because he wants you to bump into them. And it might just be the start of something wonderful in their life. They're not a target, okay? They're not a target. They're somebody that God loves enough to put you into contact with so that you can share his best with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Yeah, we we know what we should do, but Lord, we're great at talking about the lost. We're not so good when it comes to sharing with them. So Lord, I just pray that you so fill us by your spirit and a love for you, that just through the normal way in which we are this coming week, There's something of your life, something of your heart, something of your compassion and your concern will just flow out of us into the needs and hurts and wounds and pains of those that we live and work and play with. Thank you that you've come in grace to save us, not come down with the law to condemn us. Help us all to be a good paper boy and not to waste what you've done by not getting the message out. Thank you for those in our lives that shared the message with us and help us, we pray, to be good messengers for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.